Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We are back for another week. We have just had round two of the AFLW competition and oh boy, there were some close contests. There were some big scores and unfortunately there were some all too familiar scenes that AFLW fans are probably sick of on the injury front. So naturally we have to talk about all of it, but Before we get into that chat, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Bunurong, Awabakal and Warami people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lord-Danik and Sarah Burt. So, Sarah, it was a big round. Um, Unfortunately, you saw plenty of injuries where you were working but before we get into those we'll quickly do a run through of the rounds results so we started things off on Friday night with the D's beating the Roos by two in a very close one at the MCG Adelaide beat Richmond by nine the Dogs beat Port by 19 Cats were big winners over Freo by 28. Freo now hold a very unwanted record for the lowest ever score in an AFLW game It was a very close one down in Port Melbourne and the Blues beat the Dons by one point. The Magpies rather were winners over the Swans by 31. The Lions just keep piling on the big scores. They defeated the Giants by 47. The Saints were winners again. This time they beat the Hawks by 53 and the Suns got one up over the Eagles winning by 33. But like I said, as much as there was so much good match chat and match play and excellent footy we kind of have to start with the injuries because there were just so many so like I said you saw a fair few of them down at Box Hill so talk to me about these very very unfortunate injuries. Hello yes um, it was very unfortunate on the weekend actually Um, yes I was working down at Box Hill on Sunday and we had some pretty unfortunate events. It actually started in the first 10 seconds. Um, Tamara Luke went down and was in visible pain, hobbling off that classic tear-jerking situation that we all hate to see. And I think everyone listening will know that when you're at a game and you see that visual, no one wants to say those three little letters that that we all dread, particularly in AFLW, um, but we're all thinking it. And um, across the media broadcast, which I was working in, you can't mention it um, because nothing's confirmed, but you can see the pain, you can see the distress. Um, she can walk, she went off with two trainers. And, um, yeah, that was that a big hit for Hawthorne, who are a relatively inexperienced side in terms of AFLW. They've got a lot of um, VFLW players, but um, in terms of expansion sides and, and that um, really experienced side, um, sorry, I'm getting my words mixed up, but in terms of AFLW experience, they're probably one of the least experienced sides. So um, that was a really big hit for them. And then almost straight away again in the same quarter, Lou Stevenson went down and it was her left ankle. Um, And she seemed to be, she couldn't walk on it, but she seemed to be doing okay. But they did take her straight down to the rooms and she came back out um, at the second quarter and was jumping up and down and everyone was giving her a razz up and everyone was really excited that she was okay. Um, but they did pull her off again at half time and she came back out onto the bench with a moon boot on and some crutches. So 
we don't know uh, what the verdict is on either of those guys, but that was a really big hit for Hawthorne. They obviously did not do well on the scoreboard. And I don't know if you can attribute it to that because they are two really experienced players. So just in terms of game smarts and leadership, that sort of thing, it's um, it was a big loss for the Hawks. But, um, I mean, I'm sure we'll delve into it later, but in terms of gameplay, there was a lot of other things that they were missing as well. Um, and then it was the Saints' turn. Unfortunately, Jade Van Dyke went down. Again, we're not exactly sure just yet what's happened. We're waiting on some word from the Saints, but it didn't look good. And again, it's one of the really experienced players. Um, it's really distressing and not that they're old, but in terms of AFLW um, longevity, they're at the higher end of of the age bracket. So that's, that's really distressing too because it adds another layer to if the worst does come to fruition, will they ever come back? Is that their last time? And because it is such a short season, obviously ACLs are season ending for the men's or the women's, but in such a short season, how do we get these women to then you know, make sure that their rehab is up to scratch so that they can come back for for the next preseason and then for another 10-round season if that's what we have next year. It's it's just so heartbreaking. And you said that, you know, being at the ground, you, you feel that. It's almost like a tangible change in atmosphere when someone does go down. And I think even if you weren't there, there was the photo post-game of those three players all in crutches, as you said, Lou Stevenson had the moon boot on and you've just looked at these three women and you're like, this isn't fair, this isn't right, this just really sucks. And that was only one game. We're also awaiting um, some scans and some info on a couple of other injuries. So we had Pepper Randall and Jamie Stanton going down, so we're waiting to see the extent of their injuries. And then as if this, all of those weren't bad enough, we had arguably the most horrific injury of the round. Uh, Western Bulldogs player Britt Goodnecht, we have now confirmed, broken a fibula and tibula, had to undergo surgery in Adelaide over the weekend and has to basically stay there until she's right to fly. And it was just, I feel like there's not enough adjectives to describe how just distressing, heartbreaking. You saw it on every single player's face, on Nathan Burke's face, on Britt's family who had flown over to Adelaide to watch her play. It was just an all-round awful situation. How did you see it? How do you kind of like process something that really is just plain awful? There's no other way to describe it. Oh, it was horrendous and it was pretty gory and I think Britt took it really well. Um I mean, one part was when we saw her have the green whistle, then she was sort of having a bit of a laugh with Nathan Burke, which was um, almost a relief to see her able to relax a little bit into it. I think you do sort of see that with a lot of the players that once they've come to terms with their fate, even if they don't know exactly what it is, if they know that it's probably a season-ending injury, they sort of come to terms with it. You'll often see them sort of hobble out and have a chat to their coach and, and the other players Um, And she obviously had accepted her fate as she was being lifted into the ambulance, but um, there was a couple of really distressing scenes, her parents coming down onto the field, really upsetting for them. I thought it was really good that they put up a screen to give her a bit of privacy, but um, something that was even um, sort of equally distressing was the amount of time that they had to pause the game. And 
of course, out of um, logistics, but also respect. You need to pause it and, and get them off and, and make sure that you're doing due diligence to the injury. But um, apparently the reason that they had to stop for, I think it was 32 minutes, was that they don't have a spare ambulance there and under AFL protocols they have to have an ambulance at the, at the ground for AFLW and it took half an hour for another ambulance to come once they'd taken Brit off to hospital. So um, I think that's a question for the AFL as well. Why is there not a backup, particularly with the amount of injuries we suffer? And if a game really only goes for an hour and a half, why are we stopping for half an hour to get another ambulance there when there's been such a serious injury? Um, but yeah, um, fingers crossed that Britt has a good rehab and hopefully she'll bounce back. She's sort of young and fit enough, so um, hopefully the doggies are all okay. I, th- I think that's a really good point. Like obviously we want Britt to be okay because she has suffered the most in this context, but, you know, all of those players, even the Port ones, witnessing this and then having the game stop for such a long amount of time and knowing why it stopped, you'd forgive any of them for kind of, falling out of the mentality of you know game mode and all of that kind of stuff because you would be filled with concern whether it's for your teammate or just for an opponent who you respect and someone that you don't want to see really in distress and really injured so I know they spoke about it post game about how it was uh, not a circumstance they've ever really had to navigate before but something that the dogs did eventually uh, navigate and navigate well they did end up winning but just such a, a just a shocking time for everyone but like you were saying the the green whistle it uh, always brings out <laughs> the giggles um not only for whoever is on it but everyone around them so for all of those players we have our fingers crossed that rehabs go well maybe you know our first fears aren't confirmed but unfortunately it it happened last season I you know vividly remember that first round where we had the three ACLs just go bang 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 it's a a part and parcel of the AFLW at the moment even though I don't think anyone would want it to be such a common recurrence in the league but unfortunately it is what it is at the moment with the with the knee injuries in particular but Let's move on to some of the other games. There were a few very spicy, very close contests, and that started Friday night with the Ds beating the Roos by two points. It was a great game. It was a great contest. It felt like it was befitting the the setting at the G. It was the kind of game you want to see played on the G. How did you see that one unfold? Yeah, that was a really exciting game. Um, I think something that a lot of us would have taken away from that was just how prolific Alyssa Bannon is when she gets the ball because she only ended on, I think it was about six touches, but ended up with um, with a goal that essentially won it for them. So um, it's something that those sort of players that have such an effect on the game um, but don't necessarily get that many disposals, aren't necessarily around the ball all the time. They're the players that I think probably fly under the radar but also um, are really crucial to a team because they're not they're constantly trying to rack up their own stats sheet. They know their role, they play their role, and they do what needs to be done. And we've seen it before. We saw it last time Alyssa Bannon um, played on the G and, and got them to their grand final. And so... 
those sort of players really, really need to be held on too tight. And for me, that was she was just the star of the show because it was just it was just a fantastic game. And um, Melbourne's defense was super, super strong. But again, they're going to need to be careful that they don't um, sort of let themselves go once they get a big lead because they did have a big lead at three quarter time, and they almost just let it completely slip. And so I don't know if that's a fatigue thing or if it comes down to sort of um, feeling like they've already won. But it is interesting to see that from such an experienced side in comparison. They've got a lot of experienced players. So you wouldn't think that people like Daisy Pearce um, and Lauren Pearce, that everyone would be letting them sort of get away with that. Um, But it it was interesting to see. But Alyssa Bannon was definitely the star of the show for me. Literally, my notes just read Alyssa Bannon and then about seven exclamation points because I was I was so excited about her in the preseason, especially after that um, prelim at the G last season. She was just so good, so electric. So I love to see that she's just continued on her merry way. I'm glad you mentioned the lead though as well because it was something we spoke a little bit about last week. It was three eight the D score to a four to four straight from the ruse and just that inaccurate inaccuracy. You think about. If a couple of those had been properly converted, could this have been a very different discussion about this game, basically, because it would have been a much bigger lead. And the Ds weren't the only ones who were a little bit inaccurate. Just quickly going back to the Western Bulldogs game, before the good neck injury, they were leading the inside 50s 17-6, to but only had a score of 1-7. And it's just like you need to capitalise on this dominance because especially if you come up against a side like the Roos who are clinical and can, you know, push on and get a win, it will come back to bite you in the bum. But it was such an enthralling contest, as was the Blues' one-point win over Essendon. It looked like a cracking atmosphere down in Port Melbourne and it was such a fascinating game. Are you feeling relieved first and foremost as a Blues fan to have that first win for AFLW season 2022.2.0? Yes, finally the Blues. (laughs) Um, I think they'll be really relieved too. I know um, I've brought it up in the last two podcasts as well, but um, with Maddie Prespark, it's gone. They would have that would have been front of mind for them. Obviously, it was a big talking point before they went into the clash. They've lost her over the preseason and oh sorry, the sign and trade period. And it was their first game against her. Uh, she did have a pretty epic game though. Um, so I think that they'll be really relieved to see that when other teams do put their best foot forward that they can excel and I think that's something that we haven't really seen from the Blues before I think sometimes their defense sort of tends to freak out a bit um a big part of that was Darcy Vessio three goals she's back to her career best form but um again it's like I said last week you just can't rely on one player and and they didn't they didn't they Darcy getting three goals absolutely got them over the line but um their defense looked more confident and stronger and um it's really good to see players like Mimi Hill and some of those players that are really coming up through the ranks, really taking on that role and accepting their responsibility in the team. Uh, And I think that the Blues are going to get better with that. And I think that's something that we're probably going to see. And maybe it is a confidence thing. Maybe they just need that one win under their belt uh, and they, they can move forward. So we'll see how they go. 
We certainly will. But on the flip side, Essendon have very much shown that, you know, it wasn't just the fact that they were playing another expansion side that made them look so good last week because they really made the Blues sweat in that last quarter. And the incredible stat from Gemma Bastiani, who was an absolute stats wizard, in the two games so far this season, Essendon's final quarters have both read that they have scored three goals too and they have kept their opponents scoreless, which is ridiculous. So I feel like once Essendon learn how to maybe be on from the get-go and maybe not have to rely on that really strong last quarter, it could be really exciting for Essendon fans. But also, like you mentioned, Maddie Prispark is having an absolute fantastic game. The celebration after the goal, I love that it's just adding to the rivalry but also making it women's specific because it's very easy to be like oh yeah there's plenty of rivalry and bad blood in the men's game but that doesn't always necessarily translate to the women you need to actually have substance behind the rivalry so to see Maddie you know giving it big scoring against the old side and it being such a close and exciting contest I think that says only good things about where this rivalry is going to go in the future so cannot wait to see more games from them We talked about close games. Uh, This game was not close. This was uh, the Cats beating Frio by 28. Cats obviously off to a great start. It's the first time they've ever started the season with two wins. But on the flip side, Frio, as I said a little bit earlier, now hold the unwanted record of having the lowest ever score in an AFLW game. It was a lone point. We spoke a little bit last week about how, you know, Things aren't really great at Frio at the moment for multiple reasons, but did you expect them to kind of be this low and this bad at the moment? No, I didn't. Um, Obviously, it's not a mantle anyone wants to hold, Um, but there were a couple of teams that almost got to that anyway over the weekend, so they, they, they may not have been alone if things had sort of gone the other way over the weekend, but... I mean, we've already talked about how much Frio have been affected by their injuries and this won't be good for their morale. I know I keep talking about morale, but it is a really big thing in a season where there's such huge change. There's monumental change with new teams coming in and such huge player movement and to be the bearers of the lowest ever AFLW score is not going to bode well for their morale. But, yeah, I mean, they're missing some of their best players. Um, it's it's very upsetting, but I don't think that this is their fate. I don't think, I don't think we're going to continue to see this, and it might just be the real fire in the belly for them. Um, but I think, to be honest, I think it was just that the Cats, they were really strong in attack, obviously, um, but again, I feel like inaccuracy has marred this entire round. It's been everywhere. Um, there was few times over the round that I was more frustrated than watching the Tigers try to kick a goal. So I think it was really similar, um, in this game where, the teams are completely capable of getting it inside 50. You look at their inside 50 counts, they can get it there, but they just can't go deep and they just can't capitalise. And that's something that they're all going to really have to work on because obviously if you can't score, you can't win a game. Um, and that's what we saw with Frio, you know, and they, they're they missing some of their best defenders, but also some of their best goal kickers. But 
again, it's one of those teams where they've got a lot of really, really heavy hitters. They've got heaps of experience, heaps of league experience um, and leadership experience. And then they've got some down the other end of the spectrum and they need to try and build up that middle ground and um, and that's going to have to be something that they're going to have to really work on. Um, the Cats, though, I think the Cats are looking really exciting, um, which is something obviously they weren't great last year and so it's really exciting for them to, again, for them to be seeing um, some reward for effort. And I think that something they've done really well is build up their midfield and and that depth in their side. So um, I think it was a really well-deserved win by them. And I'm just hoping that Frio aren't too hard on themselves and that they can sort of bounce back. I think you're totally right in the sense that even though it's been terrible for Frio, it doesn't feel like a true reflection of what they're capable of. It's just really shitty circumstances for lack of a better adjective but it is really exciting times at the Cattery it's exciting times for St Kilda as well they're another side that have started the season with two wins for the first time ever they have played two expansion sides though so it'll be interesting to see how they go against more established teams and like I said there were some quite big wins the Lions look formidable they are just piling on goals they know how to score and they know how to defend as well so them they're they're doing good things up in Brisbane a couple of the other games obviously good wins from the Magpies good win from the Suns as well like I really thought maybe West Coast were gonna kick on after their win last round but the Suns came out blazing which is always good for them but I think that's match chat. We had a little chat pre-record about one of the games in particular and how it was set up. So I'm talking about the double header, the Ds and Roos being played at the MCG before the men's final. And we had differing views on the double headers. I'm not a fan of them, but you quite like them. So I would love to hear why you like them because I'm actually um maybe a little bit stubborn in my opinions on double headers and how much I dislike them. But why do you like them as a, a thing in AFLW? It's interesting because we had similar reasoning as to why I do like them and you had the same reason as to why you don't like them. I think that um, something you mentioned was the pricing and I'll let you talk on that, but um, I do agree with that. But what I think is really fantastic is that you get – um, incidental crowds, particularly during the men's final series of people that don't even necessarily know about the women's game, but are coming early for the men's game. And we might get a few uh, supporters that are just interested in in learning about it. Um, this obviously swept up in the finals momentum and they might be really excited to to be then supporting another team and particularly if their team gets knocked out or, or even if they don't if they win the grand final it's exciting for them to see that there's there's a progression of footy there's there's still a side from their club that they can follow so I think that that's really healthy and really exciting uh, I also understand that people coming in sort of in the fourth quarter of the women's game um, and we're still counting those crowd numbers as at the women's game is not representative really of what, of what the stats sheets say. But I do think that um, it's, it's exciting to see people that might not 
necessarily be at the women's games, um, lay eyes on it. Um, again, though, on the flip side, the actual timing of the games to start at five o'clock on a Friday, uh, it, it's just not going to work. So I think something that the AFL probably needs to look at is bumping that men's game at least half an hour later. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that disagree with that. But I think for the sake of the game, um, I think it would be a really important thing because in some ways starting it at five o'clock almost defeats the purpose of the doubleheader because you may as well just have it um, at another time where people can can fully commit because that also means while you might incidentally get some supporters, you lose those people that actually really want to be there for the women's game because they're still at work. So um, it's an interesting one and it's going to have to be something that they keep evaluating because I don't think it's sustainable at all, particularly while the women aren't full-time and they have to be at work themselves. So, um, you know, like are the players even getting out on time? How are they getting to the game? All of these things are something that people really need to consider. And I think we're actually asking the players themselves to sacrifice a lot as well as the fans. So be interested to hear the flip side of that argument. That's the thing. I do like see a lot of value in what you have said one of my first thoughts though was with the 5 p.m kickoff which I think we've both said we agree on that totally it's bad don't do that again (laughs) outrageous like play it on a Saturday then when people don't have things on and can spend a, a very large chunk of their day at the MCG like sticking to the Friday thing just seems silly. And like uh, you said, my brain was like, God, fans can't get out. How many, you know, players have also had to either take the day off work fully or had to go to their bus? Uh, I need to leave because I'm going to go play at the MCG in a couple of hours. So um, <laughs> sorry about that one. I'll make it up next week or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it's just the, the point you mentioned, I think it's really interesting that um, – that exposure to AFLW, I do think there is a lot of value in that. I just think that um, it just it feels disingenuous. Like you were saying, having people counted as part of the crowd who maybe watched 10 minutes and had no intention of watching those 10 minutes, it just happened to time out with um, when they arrived for the men's game. There's just something about it that feels disingenuous, but I suppose... There's also an element of can beggars really be choosers as to how people get exposed to the AFLW? Oh, but do we need to still run with that argument? I think as much as I know we've had this conversation ever since the inception of the league, Mm -hmm. that we're just happy to play so we'll take what we can get. Mm. I totally understand that because you don't want to come in and just demand everything that the men's game has established over years and years and years. But you also, to some degree, the players need to be going to the AFLPA and saying, we physically can't make this work. I've got to pick my kids up from school at four o'clock. I can't get to the MCG by then. I won't be able to do the warm-up. And then we've talked about injuries. I mean, I don't know if this is a long bow to draw, but if they're running around from picking up their kids from school, running from uni, running from their jobs, coming off night shift as a paramedic, how much does fatigue play into that and are they getting the time to warm up then warm down after the men's, you know, at the Marvel game last weekend with Essendon Hawthorne, the women weren't using the change rooms, the men's change rooms, and they apparently were under construction. I don't know the ins and outs of that, but there's things like that where 
the women aren't being allowed to be as prepared as the men are. There's not enough time for them to get in, get out, really set themselves up, do a proper warm up, all of that. And so maybe that is why we're seeing injuries, but also do the double headers contribute to that? Because then are you having to leave work at 2 p.m.? You're rushing there. You might be late. You might not get a proper warm up in. Um, and then you're rolling out straight away because the men have to have to get in. So is it really a viable way to continue playing? I don't think it's a long bow. Like maybe it's not the root cause, but I don't think you can dismiss it entirely either as maybe being a factor. So I don't like it from that sense. As you mentioned, though, the ticket prices as well. A lot of my arguments, I suppose, come very much from a fan lens. So fans can't get to a game at 5pm because fans are working or going to school or going about their day much like the players. And in a similar kind of vein, the price difference between a regular season AFLW game and a men's final is quite stark. And I would say rightly so, you know, men's finals are more expensive, but to then have priced out, I would say mainly North Melbourne fans who didn't want to then stick around for a a final that doesn't involve their men's teams. I can't really begrudge them not wanting to do that. I know some of them did. We saw a couple of blue and white scarves in and amongst the stands, but I just think pricing fans out for the sake of having it at the MCG isn't a great look for fans. But as you were saying, I I love that the women get to play on the MCG. I think it's something that's so important and I do want to see more and more of it. So my argument would be less doubleheaders, more moving the games to standalone events at big stadiums like we saw with the Essendon Hawthorne game in round one. I think that's the way to do it where you give the women, the respect, the fans, the respect. You know, there were 12,000 people there at Marvel (laughs) Stadium and all of them wanted to be there. Yes, this MCG game got about 5,000 more people, but you know that every single one of those 12,000 people was really bloody excited to watch some AFLW. But I do agree with you in the sense that there's also going to be an element of give and take when it comes to these doubleheaders because they're probably going to continue because it's good for broadcasters, it's good for media, Um, it's easy to market, come watch two games for the price of one, blah, 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 blah. Like I can see why people are persisting with them, but I think we need to really look at it from every angle, every facet, how it affects every single party in terms of a match day and that goes all the way from fans to the players to the staff to the grounds people, like everyone. So I do think it's something that we'll continue to see and I'm sure the conversation will continue to evolve as well. But, yeah, any final thoughts on doubleheaders? Well, I was just going to say I think something, maybe this is something that the AFL needs to take into consideration when we're looking at next season's start dates because we know there's been a lot of conjecture around this season and playing two seasons in one year and how it affects injured players and overseas players who are doing the Gaelic and and AFL. And there's a plethora of arguments as to why it's hurt the league. There's also, also, excuse me, a plethora of reasons as to why it's a good idea, in my opinion. So when the AFL 
were talking about how they came to the decision to have an August start date and, and have the second season this year. One of the reasons was we'll start in the men's buy round. All eyes are on footy at this time and maybe we will get those incidental fans that I was talking about before. And so, and I think certainly from some of the numbers we've seen that has happened, but by the same token, are we making them compete with an already really, really successful broadcasting situation so I think that will be something the AFL will have to look at and look at the stats and the and the crowd numbers um and the views on on the TV and and listening on the radio as to how that then translates to the women's game because um you know possibly it will be something that they have to reevaluate reevaluate sorry every year and do you start the week after the men's grand final so there's clear air people are still on a high about footy and the the women have all of the room to to play at the big stadiums and um, play at prime time um i know that hasn't been negotiated in the broadcast deals but um it might be something that they have to look at look at until the women become full time get paid enough to do it full time and can commit their whole days to actually getting to a 5 p.m. start. So that's something that they'll they'll have to they'll have to look at, or they're going to lose really valuable players who just can't make it work with the rest of their lives. I think that is always the it. It all comes back to please make these players full time professionals because not only do they deserve it, but it will genuinely improve everything like it really will i also feel like we could continue talking about this for a while but i'm gonna stop us here hey guys if you like this podcast and you like footy why not join myself matt walsh jake michaels and champion data's christian jolly as we break down all things footy with the help of the game's best statisticians get the espn footy podcast wherever you stream your podcasts every tuesday two final things first of all round three any fixtures catching your eye? I think Richmond Hawthorne will be quite interesting. Um, Richmond, they just haven't had their time in the, uh, excuse the pun, in the sun yet, Um, but they really, uh, I think that they've definitely got, uh, they've definitely improved and they've definitely got um, some room to grow as well. So, the Hawks haven't had much success in their first couple of games and as we spoke about before, they've lost a couple of really key players. But I think that this game will be a really good barometer for us to see where the Hawks sit um, because, I mean, it, it, they lost by a lot last weekend and um, and Richmond have had their big losses in the past and Richmond are really, really hungry for success and the Hawks are still just finding their feet. So I think it will be really interesting t- from a expansion perspective but also to see a team that has been part of expansion in the past but now is in their fourth year, um, for them to see sort of how they level up and um, and and who will win. So I'm actually really looking forward to that game. Similar to you, I'm highlighting two games mainly because of their barometer factor. So I mentioned that Geelong and the Saints have both started their seasons with two wins for the very first time. Geelong take on the Pies, so going to be really interesting to see where Geelong stack up against a side that's, I suppose, more highly fancied than they are. And similarly, but probably to an even greater ex- extent, the Saints taking on the Ds. If they can match it with the Ds, 
will know that it's not just because they were playing expansion sides. The Saints are actually here to play in Season 7. So really looking forward to kind of getting a real or a a more accurate read on where both the Cats and the Saints are um, in Round 3. Final question, how'd you go with your tipping? Uh, Actually okay this week. (laughs) Better than last week? Yeah, better than last week. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty hard to keep track. Um, particularly if we keep I know I keep harping on about injuries, but they really do make a difference because you can't you, you know, you you have to take that into consideration and so many facets mm-hmm. um in terms of who's in the leadership group and who's got the most experience and the position they play on field. So um yes, I did okay, but I'm hoping this week I'm a bit better. How did you go? Uh, I did well. I tipped Essendon instead of Carlton. So that one was like one point. One Thanks point. A lot. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but then also I tipped the Eagles because I was really buoyed by their round one performance. So did I. The Gold Coast were like, no, thank you. Not today, West Coast. So, like I said, it's always fun. You can still join the ESPN 40 tipping competition and you can probably tag on to the the final bits of the men's season and get straight into the women's one as well so would highly recommend but that's us done for today remember you can read all of sarah's stuff on espn.com.au and i would definitely recommend checking it out but we'll see you next week for some round throat chat Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.